Today's scripture reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, before I invite uh, our guest speaker, Daniel Whitehead, um, to the front uh, today, just want to um, introduce him a little bit more. So Dan is uh, an ordained minister with over 10 years of uh, full-time vocational church ministry experience in the UK. And he has traveled um, extensively overseas, uh, working on various humani humanitarian projects, and is a certified mediator with London School of uh, Mediation. And Dan serves um, as the CEO of Century Mental Health uh, Ministries, a nonprofit that um, uh, exists to equip the church to support mental health and well-being. And our young adult group is currently doing the Century Mental Health uh, course uh, over the uh, eight weeks, uh, starting June and until end of July. We really appreciate um, the thoughtful, holistic, and biblical approach um, of, the, of the course. And it really opens our eyes and hearts towards uh, those who are going through mental health challenges or are uh, um, have a lived um, experience. So it's such an excellent resources uh, for a church community. So thanks to you and your team uh, for blessing um, the community tremendously with your work and ministry. So um, would you help me to put our hands together to uh, welcome Dan? Thank you. Just going to pray for you. Please. Just going to pray for Dan. Um, dear Lord, we are thankful for Dan, for his work, uh, his ministry, uh, Lord, for um, Lord, today, this morning, I just want to pray that uh, may you speak to us uh, through him, to what he's doing, um, to your calling in his life, Lord. I just pray that, Lord, bless the word, and uh, may your word uh, edify us and change us and strengthen us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Well, no pressure then, after an introduction like that. Prepare to be disappointed, everyone. <laughs> Um, it's a joy to be with you again. You know, I, I can't tell you what a joy it is to be invited back to speak in a place. Um, there are a number of churches where you only get invited once, but I've actually lost count of the amount of times I've been here. So uh, that is a real joy for me. Uh, it's also great to be joined by one of my colleagues here this morning, Krista Hewitt, who has been such a gift to our organization. Her uh, commitment to detail and excellence and getting things done, and more than all of that, her need to win has been an incredible gift to our organization. So um, great to be with Krista and, and Ben here today. You know, um, when Justin asked me to speak today, he said uh, he was asking people that are contributing to the peace of the city. And there was a sense in which, even in that invitation, um, I really cherished that invitation. Uh, it's an incredibly humbling 
thing for me. As someone who moved here uh, nearly nine years ago for a year, which is not uncommon for British people to come for a year and to stay for a lifetime. But for me, as someone who actually feels like this city has given so much to me and my family, uh, it is a great privilege to be thought of as someone that might be in some small way contributing to the peace of this wonderful city that we feel so privileged and, uh, and, and joyous to call our home. Justin asked me what biblical text drives sanctuary mental health ministries. And, you know, we don't have a specific text, but actually the whole Bible read through the lens of mental health and well-being as a distinctly holistic and relational venture indeed speaks to the need for what our organization does. The Bible is, of course, a book about people, people who are looking for a home, people who are often struggling people who are languishing, people who are wondering what is happening. And the church is called to be an embodiment of this home, this safe space, this sanctuary. And sanctuary as an organization seeks to equip the church to support mental health and well-being, as you've heard. But our hope is that we can help the church to become this hospitable, warm place, this place of refuge for all people at all stages of their mental health well-being. And so today I picked one of these psalms, uh, one of the psalms of lament, Psalm 130. And of course, I could have picked many other psalms. Uh, about 40% of the psalms, the songbook of the Bible, are laments. They speak directly to this human experience of struggle, of languishing. So that in itself gives us an invitation to live into our authentic lives more deeply to voice our pain and struggles before God and each other. I think this is modeled really well in the Psalms of Lament and in Psalm 130, as we'll find out. So the psalmist starts out of the depths. You know, in the Hebrew scriptures, the depths or the deep waters was a metaphorical or poetic image of chaos. It's the feeling as if you're drowning. Not that you're actually drowning, but the feeling of being overwhelmed. These are the depths that the psalmist is writing out of. You know, probably most of us can remember a time in our lives when we felt overwhelmed. Like we're drowning in our circumstances. Even if it lasted for just a moment. And that's because despair, being in the depths, is part of what it means to be a human being. And of course, I don't need to tell you, but statistically speaking, there will be a significant number of people in this room today who are languishing in their mental health, who are struggling to hold it together. I say to you today, you are not alone. You are not alone. We have a Christ who says to us, you are not alone. I am with you in the depths. You know, it is a myth that says we have to always be happy. The pursuit of happiness is not a biblical idea. That's an entirely modern idea. But experiencing the depths, at least for some time, gives us a different way of seeing the world. And it gives us insights that we otherwise couldn't have had. I mean, consider many of the greatest artists, the masters. Consider musicians. So much creativity and beauty and art has emerged from people's experiences of the depths. I heard recently someone discussing 
the uh, ethics of when they're messing around with genes and things, they're saying, if you could remove someone's mental health challenges at, before they're even born, just their ability to experience depression, if you could remove that, would you? And, and my only thought as a, just a knee-jerk reaction was, but think of all the beauty that has emerged in this world out of that pain. I'm not sure I would. And that, that could sound cruel, but I think more often than not, it's how do we as a community, as a society, hold this for other people? How do we walk with people through the depths and into, uh, into recovery, into healing, which takes time and, of course, takes relationships? And, of course, Jesus went into the depths. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our Lord displays languishing. Paul went there, Jeremiah, David, Jonah. It is part of being alive to experience despair, to experience languishing mental health. This is not an uncommon uh, situation. Now, of course, we have to acknowledge that there are indeed different levels of despair, and this depends on how long we're feeling that way and how much of life can we function in. Of course, there are different levels. But no matter how deep we go, the depths is a hard place to be. The psalmist says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. You know, like us, the psalmist is in despair. And this psalm instructs us. It gives us a response. It gives us words to say at this time in our lives when often we don't have words to say or when we don't feel like crying out. So when the depths, and, and, and I say the word depths, I think you could interchangeably use that word with a more modern term like depression. So when the depths, or the experience of being in the depths, draws us into ourselves, into a silent place, Psalm 130 encourages us to find the courage to cry out to God. And it causes us to cry out for two things. The first is to be heard. O oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. In the midst of despair, we can feel like God is far away. And we wonder, is God even listening? The psalmist teaches us to break the silence of these depths and encourages us to cry out. You know, many years ago, I was a minister of a church. Uh, I'd been leading a church for about seven years. And I'd come into leading a church through very traumatic circumstances. Uh, I got married on April the 8th, 2000. Oh, pressure. I'm glad my wife isn't here. <laughs> April the 8th, 2005. No, 6. 2006. <laughs> 2006. Um, April the 8th, 2006, I got married. On May the 8th, a month later, my mentor, best friend, and pastor was diagnosed with cancer. A month later, on June the 8th, he died. And the church asked me, as a 23-year-old who'd been married two months, if I would consider leading this established congregation. And I did. And the long story short is, after seven years, I was kind of emotionally bankrupt. And that was because it was a very difficult place to be. There was lots of things that were not easy for anyone to navigate, let alone a 20, 23, 24-year-old. And I reached this point when I went on vacation and we came back and I sat on the edge of my bed and for the first time in my life, 
I allowed myself to acknowledge just how emotionally bankrupt I was. And I cried out to God. I actually cried out in the presence of, of my wife. I said, I'm done. Find someone else. I can't do this. And I think back to that prayer, that lament, and how pivotal that prayer has been in my life, for my life to take a different direction. There was something empowering about being heard by someone else and being heard by myself. It took bravery to just speak those feelings out, those feelings that were deep inside me. Owning those feelings, owning those words, caused me to pursue a different trajectory for my life, which has led me to this ministry in this city at this time. I still look back to that moment as a new beginning for the man that I have become, born out of pain, born out of the depths. Now, even though this psalm begins in the first person, out of the depths, I cry, it's important that we remember that this psalm was usually said together as the Jewish people moved towards Jerusalem for the temple holy days and feasts. This is one of the psalms or songs of ascent. So though this cry goes from an individual to God, it's done so in community, for the whole community to hear and acknowledge. It takes courage to cry out and be honest about how we're feeling. We wonder, will God judge me? What will others think of me and my faith? There is so much stigma around an experience like depression or me uh, mental health languishing. And I want to tell you this morning, it takes so much courage and strength to admit our emotions and to get through the depths, like an experience of depression. You know, depression is stigmatized because we all fear it. We all fear going there. And very often in response to a subject like depression, Christians have asked, what about faith? You know, is acknowledging depression, admitting an inferior faith in God, is it lacking trust in God? Where Eugene Peterson writes, a Christian is a person who has not decided to ignore suffering or despair, but one who has decided to face it and live through it. How do we as a church help people to live through the depths faithfully? Peterson explains that despair needs to be respected by the Christian community, for do we not serve a Christ who suffered? and despaired, both in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. So Psalm 130 gives dignity to our despair. It's not something to be silenced in a community or before God. It's something to be spoken out, something to be talked about and acknowledged. It's something to be lived into, and to live into your experiences of languishing while seeking and beseeching God is an incredible picture of faith. Some of the most faith-filled people I know are people who turn up and they keep pursuing God when they haven't felt God for years, when they've been struggling and carrying this burden for years, but they keep showing up. This kind of faith needs to be honored. It needs to be spoken about. Holding on to God when you're lost and in despair takes such courage. I don't think any of us would want someone to feel like their faith is inferior when it's taking everything they can to just show up. So it takes courage to cry out. It's courageous to cry out to God. It's a time of brutal honesty about what we believe and what we don't believe. 
In times of despair, there's no pretense. So approaching God out of the depths takes great courage and great faith because in spite of doubt, we still do it. So the first thing is the cry to be heard by God. The second is for God's mercy. The psalmist in the depths has to remind himself and us that God does not keep a record of sins and that he is a forgiving God. You see, in the depths, you understand two things very, very well. The first is you have such a great awareness of the holiness and otherliness of God, the, per uh, the perfection and power of God. And that's because oftentimes God seems so distant. The second thing that people in the depths are acutely aware of is their own failings. Now, this isn't to say that sin is any more an issue for someone with depression than it is for anyone else. For we have all sinned. It's just that someone experiencing the depths of depression becomes so acutely aware of their faults. They're no less or more fallen than anyone else. They've done nothing to deserve this, but they will feel more fallen in their isolation. In fact, in the despair, our own shortcomings are often all we can think about. Negative thoughts about ourselves circulate each minute, and we wish we could just stop thinking. It's like a plague. Those of you who know depression know exactly what I'm talking about. Listening to these thoughts is paralyzing. It's isolating, and the vicious circle continues as we become more and more isolated. And God seems so distant. And so with such an acute awareness of God's awesomeness and of our own failure, we begin to doubt whether God will accept us. Despair and depression can lead us to a place where we feel like God won't accept us. It can lead us to a place where we believe that his people won't accept us either. Now this is when we need others in our community to gently and clearly help us, to give us perspective, to remind us that we are loved, that God's grace goes deep enough that a person in the depths is no more at fault than anyone else, and God's grace is able to cover all of us. We need to be reminded of this truth, especially those who are languishing in the depths of their mental health. I've said to so many people who've articulated that feeling to me, that feeling of God can't accept me. My faith is in tatters. And I say to them always the same thing. I said, if you're in trouble with God, I'm in trouble with God. And I will be with you. We all need God's grace. And we need to remind each other of that. We need to remind each other of how deep the grace of God goes. So if anyone is sitting here this morning feeling distant from God, let me assure you that you are loved and accepted by him. He already loves you. So how should we respond as a church community? Well, firstly, uh, there's a big clue in verses 5 and 6 of this psalm. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for his word. My soul waits for the Lord. More than ones who watch wait for the morning. More than ones who watch wait for the morning. As caring people, when we see someone in despair, in the depths of depression or another experience like it, we want to help. We wish we could come up with quick fixes. We wish we could cure people but we often confuse curing for healing. They're two different things. 
The work of healing often takes time. But we wish we could just fix it. But it doesn't work like that. We have to follow the person's lead. And according to verse 5 and 6, they're waiting. The psalm tells us that those who watch, watch for the morning. And guess what? The sun always rises. And that is our role as a community. We are the ones who watch for the morning, who wait with our friends in despair. And along the way, we offer tangible signs of the hope and love of Christ. I met someone once who said to me, you know, living with depression, I, I can't experience God's love the way I want to, the way I see others. I can't feel it. But when I come to the communion table and I hold that bread and I hold that cup and then I taste it, I can hold it and I can taste it, even when I can't feel it in my emotions. This is to offer tangible, visible symbols of God's mercy. We also do that by being present with people, hanging out with them, reminding them that they're human. We do it by caring for people practically, holistically, offering to accompany them to see a doctor, having them for meals, all the normal stuff of life. Instead of offering advice, instead of giving them the seven steps of how to deal with depression, which normally involves taking flaxseed oil. I, I don't know why, but that seems to be the number one piece of advice I hear people giving. But instead of offering advice, we incarnate Christ and we wait with our friend until the morning comes. Sometimes we just need to give things time. Give God time to move. I'll tell you a story about this. Many years ago when I was leading a church, some very good friends of mine. Um, it was a very unfortunate situation. I, I won't go into details, but uh, there was a falling out. It's very unlike a church to have a falling out. I mean, I know, just couldn't believe it. Um, but it got to a point with these friends where we actually made a conscious decision not to speak to each other. It was very, very painful for me. Um, and so we didn't. And about a year went by, and one night I had a dream. That I was talking to this friend. And I woke up and I thought, I think it's time to contact him. So I sat at my desk in the church, I picked up my phone, and I went to text him. This is uh, well over a year since I'd spoken to him, and, and it wasn't left on good terms. And then I suddenly thought, why am I texting him? Who texts someone after a year? That's, so maybe I should call him. And I thought, I can't call him. Maybe I should knock on his door. Oh, no, that's too confrontational. Maybe I should write a letter. So I'm thinking all the ways, how do I reach out to him? And I thought, okay, I'm going to think about this today, and I'll think about the best way to reach out to him. The absolute truth, I would take a lie detector test for this. This is absolutely true. Within 60 seconds, my phone went, bing, picked up my phone, and it was a message from this guy. And it said, hey, Dan, I had a dream about you last night. <laughs> and oh, this story just gets me here. that God would care so much about two people that probably just needed to grow up, but that God would care so much about relationship that he would cause us to dream about each other on the same night. God cares about reconciliation. 
And there are people in our churches, and we don't even know that they need to be reconciled to the church because they feel like their faith is inferior. They feel like they're sub-Christians. We have to bang the drum loudly that they are not, <laughs> that they are loved, that they have something to offer our community. God loves restoring that which is broken. He loves restoring relationships. What would it look like for a church to have a posture that says, I will wait with you as you look for the Lord? Because sometimes you just got to give it time. When you think about it, there is every reason for people to be in the depths when we consider the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world that we live in. Lord, have mercy on our children and young people. Our role has to be to listen and wait with people, reminding them of the faithfulness of God, listening to them as God reveals himself. And this takes time. But we trust that God will speak a word of life when the time is right. So to wait with someone is the first response. The second response is to listen. You know, in verse 7 and 8 of this psalm, the psalm writer comes out with some amazing truths about who God is. Truths that they could only have learned if they'd been in the depths. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. You know, I don't believe that any experience is meaningless. I believe that when someone experiences a time in the depths, they've also experienced the depths of God. And in verses 7 and 8, the very one who is crying from the depths turns to the nation of Israel and offers wisdom about who God is, wisdom they could not have learned unless they'd gone to the depths. In the depths, we learn of God's steadfast, faithful love. The Hebrew word here is chesed. We love that, chesed. This is the kind of love that never gives up. It's the love of Hosea for his wife, even when she was unfaithful. It's the kind of love that the New Testament calls agape, illustrated by the waiting father in Luke 15. It's a love that always, always, always pursues. You see, in the depths, you give up on yourself. But as you come out, you learn that God never gave up on you. To see this and to experience this, to experience this level of love, is an amazing gift. One who's been to the depths knows they did nothing to earn the grace and love and forgiveness of God. They had nothing to give towards it. What a gift to know this deeply. And what a gift to the church to be reminded of this truth. And of course, we also learn that God doesn't need our help. God does it. In verse 8, it says, he himself, God, will do it. God reaches in and speaks a word of life. I've hurt many a friend by expecting them to get their acts together whilst they're waiting for God to work. So I'm going um, to land this ship with one more little story, one more little picture for you. A year ago, a man named Isaac Wardell, who's uh, become a friend of mine, reached out and said, does Sanctuary want to make an album uh, of music? And I thought, finally, my big chance has come. Um, my musical talents, honed through years of showering in the morning, have finally been recognized, and the world is going to hear my music. But then he, he clarified that it wouldn't be me singing, which is very disappointing. But um, 
But Isaac leads a ministry called the Porter's Gate, which is a, a collective of worship leaders who create music that is so beautiful that it draws anyone into it, whether you have faith or none. And it's music that speaks to subjects in the church that are often underserved. And he said, we want to make an album about mental health. And so um, we work with them. And, and a song that was played just before the service is actually from the album, which is, which is very cool. But there's one particular song from this album, which comes out in September, um, written by uh, one of Sanctuary's ambassadors and friends, a, a worship leader called Matt Marr. Uh, Matt's written many songs that you would sing and know, like, your grace is enough, Lord, I need you, your love defends me. And Matt was inspired by a picture that he wrote this beautiful song, which you're actually going to hear at the end of the service. As the service ends, we'll be playing it. But um, this picture is of a, a, an artist called Guido Galetti. Guido Galetti made a bronze statue of Christ entitled Christ of the Abyss. It's an eight-foot bronze statue. And um, I mean, if I made an eight-foot bronze statue, I would want everyone to see it. I'd be rather proud of that. In fact, I would have brought it with me today if I'd made an eight-foot bronze statue. But in this statue of Christ, Christ is not reaching his arms out to the world as we've become accustomed to seeing him. Instead, Christ is postured reaching upwards. And Guido took this beautiful statue of Christ and sank it 17 meters down to the bottom of the ocean off the coast of San Fruttuoso in Italy. So in order to see this beautiful sculpture, you have to go into the depths. You have to go into the darkness. For too long, the images of Christ that we've seen require us to look up or to ascend the mountain. But Guido says, no. When you go to the darkest depths, it is Christ reaching up to you. He doesn't reach down to pull you up. He reaches up to support you, to meet you there. Because however low you go, Christ is always lower still. Matt was so inspired by this picture, he said, I want to write a song for people in the depths to understand that Christ is found in the depths too. Today, Christ meets us wherever we are, and especially if you're in the depths. Christ meets each of us with a posture of support and grace abounding. We can never outrun or hide from the grace and mercy of God because Christ always goes lower. Christ is lower still. And what gets me out of bed each morning is the idea that we can help the church to reflect the heart of God in this way, to help the church navigate the depths so that people can find healing and hope in relationship with a loving God and a loving community that says we will listen, we will pray, we will wait, and we will watch for God to move. You know, the more I think about this, I believe revival can come in the gentle presence of Jesus. Not loud, not big, not glamorous, definitely not platform-driven. We've realized that doesn't work. That's gone. Good. Not celebrity pastors. We're done with that. It's slow, it's gentle, and it's people being authentically themselves. It's not judgmental. It's not brash, but it's compassionate. It's kind. It's understated. Church, I really believe that this is where God is at work at the moment. Will we be a church that can practically meet the needs of this generation, that can sit and wait with people in the depths? I can't tell you the number of people that need a hope like this, that need to know that God isn't scared of the depths, and neither are we. In this space, we become a sign of God's presence to our friends. And if we can do this, then I believe God will use his church to change this city and change the world when it comes to the mental health epidemic that has begun.
Lord, have mercy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are more gracious and loving and compassionate than we can ever imagine. Lord, for those among us today that are in the depths, that are struggling, whatever that is, Lord, we do pray for them, that you would meet with them and that you would give us the grace and wisdom and courage and bravery to wait with our friends as they wait for you. Lord, we commit ourselves to uh, recovery and healing. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we wouldn't rush people, but we would be a people that would abide in you and catch a vision of your gentle, compassionate presence for all your children. Lord, bless this wonderful church. In Jesus' name I pray. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.